right. Welcome back to another episode of Whole Lot of Mid, the number one football podcast on the planet, voted by absolutely nobody. But today, again, we return to the NBA. And, uh, of course, we have Ritwick. How's it going, guys? Sir. And uh, here today with us, we have Niall Williams and Noah Weinstock back on the podcast. All right. How's it going, everybody? All right, all right. Uh... Before we get started talking about the basketball, which we do have a lot to talk about, Noah, you said you wanted uh, you have one thing to say? Yeah, so I had a company that I wanted to tell you guys about. I think it's pretty cool. So that's Keep Athletics, K-E-A-P, and they have athletic shorts with really deep pockets. You don't have to worry about losing your wallet, losing your keys. They're really comfortable. We're a big fan, and if you use the code MID5, you get a $5 discount uh, on whatever you order. So we really recommend them. Hope you guys check them out. All right, cool, cool, cool. Uh, any last questions before we get started? No, I'm excited to get into it. I was on load management last time, but we out here. <laughs> Spoken like a true warrior, son. I'm done. <laughs> uh, good, yeah. Hey, man. Uh, okay, so let's get started. Uh, it's been a pretty interesting season. Uh, I think this is definitely – we all knew going into it that it would definitely be, like, the most even season we've had since, like, the big three teams were out. But uh, I thought before we get started, we could talk about the top three candidates that we feel – or, like, the top candidates in general for, like, all the main uh, awards that the NBA gives. So uh, I think I think we can start it off with a with a certain person that I think you know who I, who I'm in favor of, uh, Mr. James Harden down in Houston, Texas. Uh, How many points is Chris putting up uh, this season? I think it's 39 and a half, something like that. On, his date. On how many shots, Nile? On how many shots, bro? <laughs> He's shooting like 42 percent from from the field, so not his greatest, but like. There are a whole bunch of stars who aren't shooting like like. Uh, we, uh, we, can we can talk about Harden. We can talk about Harden. Yeah, I have, I have my I'm, thoughts on Harden. Like, obviously, I'm not gonna try to hate on him. Like, what he's doing the past two, three seasons, like it's it's like it's tough to hate on, right? Like, a guy who's putting up that many points, like, fair play to him. Yeah. But at the same he's time, really, like, yeah, well, go ahead. He's really like. I, I saw something on Twitter yesterday about Harden being your player's favorite player. I feel like. A lot of people who actually play the game of basketball and and really appreciate how hard it is to score thirty nine points a game off mostly ISO shots and mostly uh, step back three pointers and and floaters. Like I think it, he has a high level of of respect throughout the league. I think he's really a a big candidate for MVP this year. Yeah, I know, I know my favorite player loves to play him in the playoffs, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no. But at the same time, like I'm not gonna hate on him. Like it's 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 crazy. Like what he does every night. But at the same time, like, he does take a lot of shots. And that volume, albeit sometimes he generates that volume, like, I just don't – I think anybody in the league, like, if you gave LeBron that volume, if you gave KD that volume, like, I think they would definitely get the same numbers. But at the same time, like, it's really hard to, uh, you know, knock him down. I don't think think even if you gave LeBron that volume, he'd take that many shots. It's just not the way he plays. I think if if KD had that opportunity, I I agree. He could shoot something similar to Harden. But the fact is he just hasn't – he doesn't do that. We don't know that. That's all. That's all. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. The season result Harden uh, getting that 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 level of, of uh, exposure. Harden is not a, a lock. Uh, I would like to point out here that Giannis this year is averaging thirty fourteen and six with one and a half blocks, one and a half steals, shooting fifty eight percent from the field. Fifty eight percent on Dude. thirty. That is okay, really but, ridiculous. So before, before we get into a debate between him and Harden. I just also the Bucks. Obviously, the Bucks have have a great record as well. But what Harden is doing, or what uh, what Giannis is doing, is almost unprecedented. Yeah, and plus, like Giannis, also like the defensive side of the game, and like the Bucks team, 
isn't that great. Their schedule is like pretty hard so far, and like the fact that he had pretty much as competitive every single night. Um, I mean, I, they're I, not right now. Right now, not doing bad. Yeah, I mean, for me, he's he's my favorite to go. I think he's gonna go back to back. Giannis. Really? Yeah, I'm I'm picking. I think Giannis like he's just gonna put a monster nights every night, and he has a. You're telling me Harden puts up. If, if he keeps these numbers right now, let's say he does finish with something like 38, 39 points per game. He -hmm. puts up two more points per game than what he did last year, and he still doesn't get the MVP. I I might be with you, to be honest, bro. Like, what he's doing right now is nuts. I don't know, like, how much it falls off. Heard him. Last year, what, he averaged, like, 34, right? No, 36. I believe. (laughs) That's so crazy. Uh, I don't know. I think, like, it definitely depends, like, where each team finishes. I think the East is actually super competitive this year. Or, I say competitive, I think, like, all the top teams kind of, like, Closer than we thought they'd be, so it does depend depend where the Bucks uh, finish. I know the Rockets right now are in sick form. Last five games in the defense rating of the league, so uh, that's definitely going to help Harden's case. But Sorry. I so it's, it's another two horse race this year. Then it's it's between Giannis and uh, Harden for you guys. Yeah, uh, I don't think anybody else well, is going to come in that combo. I'm watching a lot of the Mavericks this year. Luka Doncic is fucking killing it. I don't know how sustainable. He is. I don't know how sustainable like his stats are, but right now I would say he's in that conversation. That being said, though, just to run through his stats real quick, he's averaging uh, twenty-eight and a half points, uh, one point three steals, three point two assists, and nine total rebounds. Wow. So, so he's excellent. But well, I, I do want to point out. I mean, as good as that is compared to Harden averaging thirty-nine a game and Giannis literally being second in points and rebounds and almost top ten in assists as well. I just don't know if Doncic is on that level, especially. Too, and I want to bring this up as well. I, I know Rick brought it up earlier. Giannis is also one of the best defensive players. And like, like you guys know, like I'm a huge Doncic fan. Like even when he was in Madrid, but sure. the, the Mavericks, the Mavericks record just isn't good enough for him. I don't think to be in that conversation. Like they're a pretty stinky team outside of him, and he pretty much is carrying them right now. Porzingis has I've been pretty disappointing. I think. I agree with that too, Rick. We'll get into that later. But I, yeah, you're right. The Mavericks record will, hurt. and uh, I'll. I I laugh, but but that's a serious conversation, I think, and I think it'll only get more serious as the year goes on. I don't I don't see why he can't put up 25, 26, 27 points per game uh this year. I feel like he can he's doing that in his sleep this year. What about uh what about like someone like Paul George? I mean two games back, he's been averaging like thirty five a game. I think yeah. it is 35, yeah. Why is yeah. Yeah, I mean, That'll be interesting to see when they're together, but I don't know. I mean, do you think they'll just kind of discount them? Like, they kind of discounted KD and Steph from previous years? I don't know. There's two guys. If he's going to get 35 in the manner that he did it these past two games, I feel like he can get his buckets without dominating the ball. Like, Lou Will was still on the ball a lot. It, I, I think he maybe got, like, 30 40% of his shots off ISO, maybe a little less, and then the rest were – just coming off the dribble. I mean, not coming off the dribble, coming off a, a screen or something, pulling up in, from the corner. Like, it, it, it's not necessarily dominating the ball. I think he can get that. Definitely, definitely Niall, but, like, how much is he going to get with Kawhi? Like, he, we know he's not, he's not going to average 14, but, like, how much can he, can he get an MVP caliber? Uh, yeah, that's true. Kawhi's averaging 27, 9, and 6 this year. This might be one of the best Kawhi years I think I've ever seen. And the thing is, like, I, I still don't feel like he's going 100%. I feel like this Clippers team, except for Montrezl Harrell, really has to go 100% for them to be successful. 
like it it's it seems like they're kind of playing at a at at a, at a slower p- pace and just running through the motions but still just blowing teams out it's kind of incredible uh, this this clippers team is like kind of weird to me to be honest like really like a lot of people like thought they were kind of going to like get a go run through everyone and like have this insane record but like i don't know it's it's either them just like not taking it seriously or just like the chemistry isn't just there but like i don't know i feel like they're still kind of like janky and they're still a vulnerable team but it's like it's still early it's november but i don't know it's something that like i thought they would be a lot better than they are right now to be honest i think that they'll be a better playoff team than they will be a regular season team i think they still have a lot of space to grow into this season, but the pieces are definitely there. I think I know personally a lot of people were talking also about Paul George, like how does this roster of Kawhi stack up to the Toronto roster last year? And I know a lot of people were saying, oh, like the record of like Toronto last year with Kawhi turned off five and six, five or six and oh, like they were on crazy form. But I feel like that's also because like the team that they had before Kawhi got there, like it was like. It was together a lot longer, so I feel like that's why the Clippers are taking a little longer to to gel into the team that we thought they'd be. And I'm sure once Kawhi and PG are on the floor too, I'm sure it's not going to be seamless like immediately. But like Niall was saying, I think it's definitely a, a playoff team. Like when we're going to see the best of the LA Clippers. I think too. I think PG will adjust relatively quickly coming from the Thunder, adjusting into playing with Russ and having that experience before. Like I don't think it's going to take him long to get settled. No. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's more a question about like knowing everyone's roles, like who has the ball, like most, like who's like the, the main facilitator facilitator on that team. Because like Patrick Beverly isn't like a, a typical point guard. Like Kawhi is definitely not like. The main Kawhi, though, I want to say, have you seen his passing? His passing has gotten better, but it's mostly like coming out of uh, like doubles. Like they're not. It's not like like it's like a different kind of like playmaking for me. It's like it's it's it's. It's not necessarily playmaking because he's making plays for his teammates. He's, it's playmaking because he's making plays for himself, and the defense has to react to it. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, he's, it's, he's it's a different. And like he's getting it based because he, he's forced to. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing like yeah. who becomes the main like facilitator on that team. Uh, but yeah, that's basically all I have to say about the Clippers. Uh, do you guys want to so, move to the next? Uh, yeah, to the next one, which is uh, uh, the top three candidates for MIP, most improved. Uh, I'll throw out mine. I- I'd say it's John Morant. Uh, what? Oh, He's a rookie, dude. Sorry, that's rookie. Most <laughs> my, my most improved is uh, I would say Brandon Ingram, Andrew Wiggins, and the third one is kind of tricky, but just off the top of my head, Jalen Brown. I don't know. Jalen Brown. Dante uh, Graham as well has been excellent. Well, just to just to go through, I think my favorite, and it's the first guy you mentioned, Brandon Ingram. Um, we we are just seeing the growth that he that that we wanted to see the past uh, couple of years. He's been in the NBA. Um, he's averaging twenty six points per game, uh, seven uh, rebounds, and pretty much four assists on fifty three percent field goal and forty six percent from uh, three point. He's just killing it out there in uh, in uh, New Orleans this season, and it's looking like the change from the Lakers is is going to do him real, real solid. Um, he's he's probably the only one really performing out in New Orleans out of the new uh, the new bunch that's out there, but he's he's really killing it. When you watch that play, he has the he has the green light. Like that man has so much confidence. He's shooting whenever. He's yeah. It's crazy watching him compared to you. Tell like he's always watching himself. Like, should I be taking this shot? You know. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they might have this experience. Rubik, what do you have to say about that? I would say my most improved player is is Siakam. Uh, I think 
he who's what he'll be like if he wins it he'd be on course for two and uh, most improved players like yeah he made, he made a giant he made a giant leap last year but like this leap where he's kind of like it's his team and he's out here putting up you know 30 a night sometimes 40 a night it's it's crazy and I, I don't like I never saw it coming like I never thought this guy could become like a pretty respectable three-point shooter and other facets of his game like defensively he was there but like the jump he's made offensively I think like I'm, I'm not sure if you can say like someone has improved as much two MIPs in a row he, he won MIP last year yeah he, yeah, won, he won it last year yeah has won twice in a row I don't think that's but, ever happened I wonder if but, that like, this yeah, could be that yeah, I think I think it's like he has a legitimate case, like him or Brandon Ingram. Like Ingram has kind of had like that steady growth, like ever since he's been in the NBA. Like even last year, I think he averaged like seventeen or something, and so like it's a noticeable bump. But like I never thought Brandon, like I never thought Pascal Siakam could be a number one option on a team that is still like winning lots of games. Like yeah, New Orleans yeah. aren't winning games, but like you see Toronto, like they're still up there in one of the top four teams in the East. So that's true. That's a good point, because I think like. There's a lot to be said about like like you said like he's a, he's a, he's scoring a lot of points like he's the main guy but on like a really good team and like nothing to take away from Ingram but like we've seen in the past there, like on every team someone has to get like get fucking buckets and on on the field yeah. has to be Ingram that's, so, that's and, and and on the Raptors like Lowry's been injured and like Ibaka's been injured like they've had it's been kind of like moving pieces so I think definitely like his case is the most compelling to me right now Even, as weird as it sounds. Go ahead. And talk Wiggins about needs to be in this conversation. I think so too. When we're talking about players who it's not their team, like you were saying, you know, I mean, Ingram has to be the one taking shots. Wiggins is playing with talent. Wiggins has been absolutely ridiculous this season. He's been putting up thirty points a game over like the last couple of weeks. He's been efficient. He looks like like he he doesn't look like the same player we've seen. And another weird thing about this is Wiggins is only twenty four years old. That's crazy. That's yeah. the craziest part about it. I think. Like, People were really quick. I mean, like I was quick to write off, write him off too. I think everyone was, but like, fuck. I mean, he's not doing. He, he, I don't think that he's really in the conversation for MIP because when you look at his career numbers versus his his numbers for 2019-20, he's only making what is this a six point jump? He's averaging 26 points a game now. He averaged for his career almost 20 points a game. You look at Siakam and you look at. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Ingram, who we had up before. They're making jumps of like eleven points, fourteen points, like between their career and their 2019-2020 averages. And I mean, a- Andrew Wiggins, it's still not his team. You know what I mean? It's still Cat's team. He's obviously playing uh, much better. He's shooting better this year. He's still not doing anything out of Andrew Wig- Wiggins' territory, though. I don't think it's quite good enough to- of a jump to win MIP. Okay, here's my case for. And you, you do make a valid point. I mean, he's only scoring eight points higher than he was before. Eight points is a lot. Though. Which is still yeah. a lot. Uh, but he's cut down his turnovers. He's shooting about seventy, uh, about seven uh, percent higher than he was before. So that, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But shooting forty six percent to shooting fifty percent is a large difference. And that's the difference between being that guy that gets twenty buckets on a bad team, twenty points on a bad team, versus the guy that's getting twenty five points and scoring efficiently. That is a huge, huge difference. Another case to be made too is how will Ingram's uh, output be affected when uh, when Zion comes back? That's yeah. true. Um, <laughs> I think I think he'll get I think he'll get probably a few less shots, obviously. But I think at that point, I think Zion's a rookie coming back into a team that he's never played for in uh, in the actual NBA season, and that he needs to get his 
get his feet settled into. So I think he's he's bound to get a, a few less shots, but I don't see a significant drop off for Ingram. Okay. Uh, all right, that's fair enough. I think Van Vliet is also in that conversation. He's averaging seventeen and like nine right now, like crazy. Stuff. That's true. I, I I could see Fred Van Vliet getting getting some votes, but yeah, I, I think. Uh, how how like consistent can he be for the rest of the season? Because Van Vliet, for all the time I've ever seen him play, like. He always has like a, a very bad stretch in the middle of the season where like he completely falls off and then like he kind of brings it back together in time for the playoffs. Uh, next uh, category, defensive player of the year. So Nile, I think you should do this one off as the number one Nico Bear And I hate to say it, but I don't really see anyone else winning but Rudy Gobert again. Like it's just if if, <laughs> if, if he says do what Rudy Gobert does. Clearly, that's good enough to win three defensive MVPs, so why not four, right? Like, I, I don't know. Nah, really... I mean, dude, this this guy is like a plastic cone outside the paint. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, you you take this guy outside the paint, and you can just walk around him. Like, and on, honestly, like, Giannis should be in the conversation, man. Like, sure, even absolutely. last year, he was, he was top five in defense, top five offense. I think it would be criminal if uh, – I don't know about criminal. Rudy, Nah, dude, this Rudy, like, bro, he's a fraud, dude. I need to expose this man. Like, this guy cried to get in the all-star team last year. Like, no more, no more. You go bear more than you do, but three defensive player of the year speaks for itself at this point, honestly. Ritwick, what's that uh, Stephen A video where he's like, he doesn't have a post move, he can put the the memory twice in a row? Dude, this man is a bona fide scrub, bro. Like, actually, a really interesting argument this year because Anthony Davis has started off the year averaging three blocks a game, which is absolutely stupid. Just like True. ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I think he's averaging about one and a half, one point three steals as well. Like he's been off. Like, I think Anthony Davis actually could give Rudy Gobert a run for his money. Some of the plays he's been making on defense, especially the steals, have been incredible. Like, incredible, incredible Here's plays of Here's the interesting thing that's going to happen. It's like you said, Anthony Davis passes the eye test. He's the number one in stats. But in every single advanced metric, as usual, Rudy Gobert is still the number one. Not even close. Yeah, give me three of those advanced metrics. If you say VORP, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, cutting out of the call. Rudy Gobert is still the number one. So it's going to be interesting to see I feel like a lot of awards uh, tend to take stats more into account. And if Anthony Davis finishes the season averaging three blocks a game, it'd be interesting to see if he can steal that away from him. The Lakers are one of the best defensive teams this year, too, right? And, like, that's a huge jump from last year. So while we can't also credit Frank Vogel, I think Anthony Davis does take a lot of credit for that. Oh, it's, it, I would definitely give a lot of the credit to Anthony Davis. There's a lot of plays where he saves LeBron's ass because he's not covering on some on sprint down. Excellent on the defensive end of the season. Uh-huh. I, I think he's, he has been better than uh, than he was last season. He's, he's yeah. back to regular on, on, Dude, He's really defending the worst offensive player on their team super well every night, bro. <laughs> when he defended to Michael Green opening night, bro, sensational. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Can, uh, Next cat. Rookie of the year. Okay, so this, this is where coach I was Coach of the year? What's up? What do you say, coach of the year? No, rookie of the year. Rookie of the year. Okay, okay. Yeah, this is where I was going in the beginning before I clearly missed uh, Red. Uh, I have Ja Morant, uh, Kendrick Nunn, and uh, Pas- Eric Pascal from the Golden State Warriors. Hey. I don't know if you guys have anyone else in there. I know, uh, what's uh, his name? Guy on the Heat has been good. Hero? Uh, Hero? Yeah, Miami. Um, I think that it's, it's going to be a, a clear one-horse race this year. 
I think it's going to be Jaws here. He's just he looks like he's he's ready for this and he's he's built for this. Like he's taken over uh, the ball in, in last minute situations for the Grizzlies. He's hitting buzzer beaters. He's making assists to to, to hit, for Jay Crowder to hit buzzer beaters. He's comfortable in the NBA, man. He's he's here. Their offense runs through. You watch like the, the Grizzlies. It's his offense. Getting back touches. Oh, I think there's a case to be had for Eric Pascal, though, man. Like, yeah, Pascal, Eric Pascal is good, man. Like, Dude, this, this guy this... can – he's, like, an old-school, like, bully boy, like, and he can shoot. Like, tonight he had 30, like, 9 and something. So, like, this guy, like, Just, I wouldn't say it's a one-way trade. Eric and plus, Pascal is actually from my hometown of Greenberg. So, uh, shout out to that. You got to represent, dude. You got to represent, yeah. dude. But, um, uh, no, but, like, he's, I, like, obviously he has the luxury of – I mean, I guess you could say luxury of kind of not having any pressure with – them not really not being a playoff team this year, what it all looks like with Steph, Clay, and like now D'Lo out for a bit, that like he can kind of take the reins on the offensive side. And, you know, he's kind of been, a, he's a steal at like what, like in the second round, I think, like similar to how Draymond was. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a one horse race because like this guy is putting up monster stats, like it seems like every night. What about Kendrick? And... Did you start I, I, here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I do agree. Eric Pascal has been incredible, but. You also have to factor in uh, storylines in the league, and you have to factor in uh, popularity, of course. Um, I just think Ja playing uh, in, in a team and a system that's built for him in a in in a, in a in a game in in a, in a style that is more explosive and more eye catching and more uh, get, getting retweets and stuff. Um, I think his his gameplay is just going to make it so that it's it's just going to be a easy easy vote for a lot of the voters what's 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 memphis's record because like if you want to say storyline also like i can say I, you can also make the argument you know pashal's coming into a team that's like heavily depleted completely mm. different um he's putting up monster stats like there's a storyline right there right like and he's a second round pick like he wasn't supposed to be anything new anything like on anybody's radar even though he's been in college for like five years or so i think so I mean, what's I, I'm not sure what's Mem- what's Memphis's record. Like, uh, they're head, five and eight head. right now. But I'm okay, actually so like they're they're noticeably better than the Warriors, though. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's clear as a one horse race as like you say to be. But like John Morant is obviously a favorite to win. But I wouldn't say like I'd say if, like Eric Paschal keeps it up. There's no reason why he can't be up there instead. Kobe White as well, by the way, guys. Kobe White, absolutely. I'm mid. I'm in. Kendrick Nunn on the Heat is averaging 18 points on 48% field goal efficiency. He's averaging 18? Wow. 48%. And the Heat are one of the best teams in the East. Wow. I didn't know he's averaging 48. I mean, not, not 48. He was on the He was on the Warriors G League roster, too, or something like that. Really? Yeah. Or like the Warriors like had him in the summer or something, like they let him go. Which is crazy. They're going to face the sign of it for time, which, I mean, obviously, his story, too, is I think uh, he was like really good in college and then like he got kicked out, uh, like beating his girlfriend up or some shit like that. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> Damn. That's a real nice way to drop that news, ladies. <laughs> no, maybe not rookie of the year. Maybe I won't vouch for him. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, next position, coach of the year. Uh, Nick Eric Nurse. Spolstra. Oh, Eric Spolstra? Mm. Yep. I, that's certainly an option. I'm gonna give it to Nick Nurse, man. I think that this well, what did what was the Heat's what what did people think the Heat would be? I think everyone who saw the Raptors last year said they would still be 
a top five seed no. just based on how they were when they got quiet. No, 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 no. That's not true. Niall, before the podcast started, said they were going to miss the playoffs. I just, All right, well, Niall doesn't know ball, bro. I think <laughs> this is an interesting year in that there's a lot of teams that have outperformed where they were last year. So it's going to be a really tough, like the Suns, the Heat, the Raptors are overperforming expectations, if not last year. I think there's a lot of good cases to be made, and the Lakers as well with Frank Vogel. For me, it's between Monty Williams and Eric Spolstra, and the fact that, like, the Raptors to me aren't surprising. Like, I saw what the Raptors were last year. Like, I saw them go to Golden State without Kawhi and beat the brakes out of them in the regular season. And, like, the Raptors were a good team before Kawhi. They were a good team with Kawhi. They were a good team without Kawhi, and now they're a good team when he's gone. Like, they're not anything, I would say, surprising. The only thing I would say that is surprising is just, like, some of their players' resurgence, but, like, I, I thought they were going to be a top-five team. Like, the Suns also, like, I thought they would be good this year, like, more respectable, but, like, I didn't think they would be this good. And the Heat as well. Like, I thought the Heat would be, like, a brink on the brink of uh, playoff contention, but, like, they're well up there. So, Can if I, you want to talk about over, like, over-exceeding expectations, then I think, like, those two coaches come to mind straight away. Let me give you my reasoning for Nick Nurse. So, Nick Nurse went into a five-game away stretch uh, with the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Clippers – the Mavericks and the Trailblazers without Lowry and Ibaka. And he went there and brought in guys like Hollis Jefferson, Chris Boucher, uh, who else was there? Matt Thomas. Like, guys who were, like, in the G League for the Toronto Raptors. And he went and limited LeBron to, like, eight to like 13 points, Kawhi to, like, 12 points, and Damian Lillard to 9 points. On, like, horrible shooting efficiency. Like, we can, we can say all this stuff about, like, oh, the Raptors were good before, but, like, the Raptors without Kawhi, without Danny Green, without Lowry, and without Ibaka. Like, you have to give a huge big ups to, to Nick Nurse. Like, he's organizing one of the best defenses in the NBA. And along those lines, too, I also I want to go to the Lakers as well because I think that this it's a similar position for them. Like, Nick Nurse has absolutely got you guys playing incredible defense. Yeah. Vogel has a LeBron team playing excellent defense as well. And, I mean, I don't – past LeBron teams have not exactly recently been known for their defense. I mean, on the Cavs with Tyron Lowe, it was not – Tyron Lue's team, you know what I mean? I think there's better defensive personalities. But there is, but I want to point out the... And I, all the announcers as well, like when you're watching these games, have been talking about how Frank Vogel has kind of put personality into this team, and you know, the rest of the season go. That's impressive for a team with LeBron on it to really have control of the team, getting people, even LeBron, to buy in defensively. Okay. What are you saying now? I just think that the impact of AD is more monumental than what Frank uh, Vogel is, is doing for the team. Obviously, he's in, in, inflected a new spirit in the team, but I think just a, having AD as, as a, as a get-out button in the paint has been in, instrumental in improving the Lakers' defense. I don't really give it all to Frank Vogel the way that I do give a lot of the Raptors' success to Nick Nurse. So I think I'm, I'm more along the Nick Nurse side. Not only that, Niall, but AD is not the only addition that the Lakers made that like, benefited their defense. Like, I know you're not a huge fan, but Danny Green got added to that starting five. Avery, Avery Bradley sure. got added to that starting five. Absolutely. Dwight Howard as well. Dwight Howard's been Howard incredible this year. So, like, it's not just one guy. Too. Like, there, there, there were a lot of additions that came in uh, that benefited. But AD is, of course, the, the, the main figure of that. That's true. I, I, AD, it is more than just AD. I, I will say that. So, Niall, if you had to vote, who would be your coach of the year? I, I would say Nick Nurse as well. I think what the Raptors are doing and, and how they've evolved and adding players like Chris Boucher. Uh, I mean, Chris Boucher was good in college, though. Yeah, in college. Oregon, he was good. 
Would you say? I would say like I don't know. I don't see Chris Boucher as a scrub. Like in Oregon, he was a, he was a fantastic player. He was one of their like lockdown defensive players on that team. Yeah, but that was not the NBA. <laughs> like, yeah, what do you mean? Was no, he also he also <laughs> like tore his he also tore his ACL or something, right? For, like during the tournament or right before the tournament, like, that was a big loss for them. I remember I think, like he was. So I don't like I don't know maybe coming off injury or something, but like yeah, go ahead. I think Chris Boucher is just like well before this insane run that he's on, he's like averaging fifteen in this last like five games. Like, I always just thought like he's twenty six, like he's not a great, he's not like like incredibly young. He's super skinny for his position. He consistently gets like out rebounded by bigger centers, but uh, his ability to stretch the floor has really made an impact on this Raptors team. So I want to talk similar to Coach of the Year because I, mean, I know that you guys aren't advocating for Eric Spolstra, but when we're talking about our biggest surprising team of the year. What do you guys attribute uh, the Heat and Suns' success to? Uh, I think the Heat, it's more just the fact that they got, like, a, a star. Like, Jimmy Butler is on that team, though. But, I mean, uh, no expecting them to be at this level. Uh, I don't know. It's, like, they – I'm not sure. I, for me, it's just Jimmy Butler. Like, they, they have a guy now who can consistently give them, like, 25-plus. What are you saying now? I think – well, first of all, the Heat are just a really good team. Yeah, but they have Jimmy Butler. They, ha- they did a good job of bringing in Kendrick Nunn, um, who's, who's been producing for them. Obviously, they still have – a somewhat talented team that did they make the playoffs last year or did they just miss out? They missed out last year. Yeah, but they they were still one of the the better teams to miss out in the East, um, and they added a player like Jimmy Butler. But a really interesting thing about the Suns actually is I think uh, the addition of Ricky Rubio actually changed a lot of of, of how the Suns are uh, are capable of playing now. Um, he's hit them uh, a lot for a lot for a lot for a lot of passes uh, to three point. Uh, for three-point shots, Devin Booker is playing off the ball a little more, um, and I think it's helped helping his scoring a lot. He's shooting a way more uh, diversified uh, type of game. He's, he's shooting off of uh, mid-range uh, post-up situations. He's shooting off of uh, uh, different three-point uh, coming off the of screens. He's, he's diversified his game a lot more, and I think it's because he actually has an actual point guard uh, getting shots for him, and, and it's, it's, it's good for them. Like, like you said, I mean, Rubio absolutely changes things. They've added uh, Sarge, Kaminsky, Aaron Baines, Kelly Oubre. I mean, this is an entirely different team than last I year. want to give credit to Rilwick because Rilwick is actually the person who, who expected this from the Suns. Like, Rilwick expected the Suns to have a good year this year. I mean, I totally is. When they got Rubio, that, like, now there's a huge onus off of uh, Booker. Because last year, this guy was the primary ball handler, and yep. he was your primary scorer. So he had to put up, like, 30 shots while handling the ball. So, like, the guy was, like tiring himself out so yeah like this year he's not scoring as many points but like his efficiency is a lot better and he he has more energy on the defensive end and throughout the game and you're seeing that but like with the heat also i think like a lot of their like role players are playing a lot better like bam is playing a lot better but they got rid of white side you know that's a big plus so (laughs) but yeah i think like the heat were always like with spolstra they were always like in contention like they were kind of like a 500-ish team once lebron left and like you yep. know, kind of got them together, but like getting like a bonus, like a like pretty much top ten player and Jimmy Butler, like that does you so much wonders. Just like having that kind of guy on your team, like Agreed. I think we can kind of you can kind of like relate it to what the Sixers are feeling right now. You know, like they don't have a Jimmy Butler on their team anymore, and I think it's kind of like they're feeling the adverse effects. Definitely, and actually, I think that this is an interesting time to talk about players who have disappointed us this year because I want to talk about Ben Simmons. Brick, brick on brick. 
I don't I know though, bro. We can't we can't rule him out too quickly. He got Maya Jim on his side. Well, now, I just bro. Nah, bro. nah, bro. Rick Simmons is here to stay. Like I can't I can't hold it in anymore. There was videos of Ben Simmons making threes. There was rumors he had a shot. There was rumors that he was going to come out and drop 25 a game. He could do anything now. We have been hoodwinked, bamboozled, let us straight run. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, fantastic week. young team this year. But uh, yeah, clearly trading and all that stuff in the documentary just didn't come to fruition. He's still the same limited player that he was last year in a in an offense that isn't made for him, especially now with the addition of Al Horford and, and just the, the overall size and lack of shooting that they have. Um, another player that's disappointed on their team is Tobias Harris as well. Um, people <laughs> into some like second player role, people being me. <laughs> and um, he, he did it. He, what is he averaging this year? Like, I, I don't even know. Let me let me find out. But it's not impressive. Bro, they got they got J. Cole out there hooping. That can't be Tobias Harris, bro. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but like the Sixers. Been, what? You've always been a person who's vouched that like you don't believe that Embiid and Simmons can work together long term, and you yeah, like, that they have. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, yep. they're just there's their styles of play are just so differing. Like Embiid kind of wants the ball. He wants to slow the pace down. It's kind of like to his game. Whereas Ben Simmons is like more LeBron type, right? Where he wants to, you know, he wants to play at his own pace. He wants to speed the game up. And like just having two guys, like if if Ben Simmons could shoot, you know, that would maybe make this a situation a lot better. But like. I just don't think, like, their styles on the court and even their personalities off the court are ever going to match. Like, I know people are saying, like, oh, it's still young. They still have a ways to go. But, like, I don't know. The way that roster is set up, like, I just don't know how many times their GM can keep pressing refresh, like, in February and, like, putting a team together. Like, I don't know. That team just doesn't ever feel to blend to me. But my, my most disappointing player happens also to be one of my favorite players in Kyrie Irving. Yeah. For me, like... Like when he when he left Cleveland to go to Boston, I was like, all right, this is his chance to show that he is more than LeBron. Like even when LeBron was on the Cavs, they had a dismal record when LeBron sat. But even when Kevin Love played, and you know he kind of weighed that on his shoulders, right? He goes to Boston. His first season, I would say, went pretty great. He gets injured, but the team does well in the playoffs. So you know, naturally, you expect a Kyrie-led team in the playoffs to do much better. What happens next season? tumultuous regular season and the playoffs the man shoots them out of the shoots them out of the buck series after like a very a very winnable formula was shown in game one but then this year like there's no there's no other like emerging stars on that uh nets team there's no jalen brown jason tatum type personalities there's like a coach that is literally letting him iso when he wants play how he wants get his how many buckets he wants and the nets cannot win with this guy like they're like what four and eight, five and nine, something like that. Like, they've won without him. The one game he didn't play in this stretch, they win without him. Like, I don't know. It's looking really funky for him. And, like, the Nets in general and Kyrie, like, I don't know. It's not looking good. Like, I can't say that I'm too happy with what I'm seeing. I agree with that, And the interesting thing about that, too, is this might be one of – this might be Kyrie's best year ever. He's off. He's averaging 28 points a game. He's scoring whatever he wants. And like you said, just doesn't turn into wins. So at what point do people start saying, you know, he can get all the points he wants, but when does it turn into being successful? Yeah. Yeah, and like that's my like big, that's like has been his biggest knock his entire life, right? Like winning basketball. Can he win you basketball games? And like, I think just every like game he plays, and like it just comes more and more clear that like he can't be your number one guy. Like he needs to be a number two. And with Kevin Durant next year back next year, we'll see if that like works out. But I don't know. It's just 
those that's like another story. Like I don't think those two are going to mesh together on the basketball basketball court well. But just this season, I think the Nets, who I thought were going to be a top four, top five seed, are you know struggling to make the playoffs at this moment. So will that stay the same? I have no idea. But I think Kyrie definitely needs to kind of go back into his playmaking bag rather than kind of that score at will because we know he can get his whenever he wants, but it just isn't translating into wins. I agree. For me, my disappointing player of the year is Westbrook. And uh, I don't know if you guys will agree or disagree with that, but I just feel like we have so much more expectation for him and Luca coming into the season. We're talking about where do they rank amongst the NBA's best duos. And I feel while Luca Doncic is definitely except, like he's definitely like uh, welcomed his new role as the point guard on the team, uh, main facilitator. As you know, like he's having a career year. I feel like Kristaps Porzingis has definitely not shown that early promise that we saw in New York as like an all-out big man that could, like the original unicorn. And I feel like he's definitely taken a step back from his last uh, healthy season in, in New York. And I feel that might be a thing. Maybe the injury is still lingering on him, but he doesn't seem as dominant as he used to be. I don't know exactly what his stats are, but it just doesn't seem like the same player. And in fact, Dallas is actually sitting him in like the clutch uh, periods of the game, like the last like five minutes of games, like they're not even playing him. Yeah, like to the Porzingis thing, like I, I saw a stat the other day that like of Dallas's like uh, top five worst two man lineups, Porzingis is the, f- the 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 first four of the five. So like this guy's a complete liability on their court right now. And like I don't know how many of you guys watched that Lakers Mavs game a couple weeks back that was on ESPN, but he started off like amazing that game. I was like in awe that like what like the step backs he was taking and stuff. And then second half, this man was a walking brick. Like, guy did absolutely nothing. And it was just Luca kind of shouldering everything, trying to, you know, lead that lead that team to a win. But, yeah, Porzingis, I would say, definitely has been very disappointed. And I, I know Niall is absolutely ecstatic about it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not. I, I don't want to see Kristaps fail just because what happened at New York. I'm not going to sit and defend New York general management. I know something happened that, that, that didn't come out. Um, but it, it, it's a little sad to see Kristaps playing the way he is. It looks like he, he's lost a little bit of confidence more than anything um, since he was uh, a star in New York before the injury. Um, he, he's, he's still taking the same shots that he used to take, um, the contested threes and, and all that, step back jazz and all that. And it's just it's just not going down for him at the same rate that it used to. Um, but I, I think it's reboundable. I don't think this is going to be a long-term thing. I think he just needs to find his feet and get back to playing uh, the basketball he knew before the injury. Yeah, that's fair. And I actually, I'm sorry, I caught none of that. Go ahead, shoot your case for Andre Drummond. I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to go. All right. In our, in our previous NBA podcast, how his lack of effort and how he's never stepped up as a leader, he hasn't realized his potential. And this year he's come in and he's been a walking double double. He's had, I think there was only one game in the NBA where someone has had more than 20 rebounds besides him, and he's had like five. He is averaging uh, one and a half block, one and a half steals. Uh, or about two blocks, one and a half steals on the season. He's putting in a lot of defensive effort. And he's actually running their entire offense through. And one of the weirdest things about this is Andre Drummond is not much of a scorer. But this year, 
he has had one of the higher rates of unassisted buckets of any big man in the league, which is absolutely incredible from him, who's previously had no way of doing that before. So I just I just wanted to take the make the case for him there, having an absolutely above expectation season. And where is all of this leading him in the Detroit Pistons? Absolutely fucking nowhere. Fuck on. <laughs> I, I but uh. Yeah, go ahead look now. at his stats. He is averaging 19, 19 points a game, almost twenty, and seventeen rebounds right now. Seventeen. That's <laughs> that's ridiculous. He's living. He's feasting in the paint. But he's 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 not doing anything out of what we expect from Andre Drummond, except for the the assist numbers and and the 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 advance of running the the, the offense through him, but. He's, he's still, no, he's still just Andre Drummond. Let's not lose our minds. This summer in a very weak free agency class, he knows that if he has a big year this year, he's going to get paid like shit ton because he still does have a market for these bummy asses. The New York, like the New York Knicks would give Andre Drummond a don't, why Don't curse us, man. Don't curse us. <laughs> I've, heard, I've actually heard weird, so I, I don't know if this is something that would end up happening, but I've heard, you know, I mean, obviously the Timberwolves want D-Lo. I've heard of exchanges happening where Drummond ends up on the Warriors. Honestly, I would not be upset about it. I've said this on multiple occasions. If Andre Drummond ever gets picked up by the Toronto Raptors, I will be ending my fandom with such a team, and uh, I'll be a free agent with a new team myself. You but, guys uh, are aren't you? You're going to have Marcus not quite working out, is he? Oh, uh, Marcus Saul. So Marcus Saul versus Andre Drummond. You know, like that, <laughs> that meme, the two jo- uh, the two clowns fighting each other? That's Andre Drummond versus Marcus Saul. <laughs> No, but I would say I would say another surprising player, and I guess this could lead into a team also, is another one of my favorite players, CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum has not had a great season so He's far. Da- Damian Lillard has having like a ridiculous season, like and it's the Blazers are just losing more games than ever. And like I saw a stat like today that like CJ McCollum was like one of the top players in terms of points allowed and uh like fewer points scored. So this man is like not scoring anything, and he's giving up everything on the other end. And, like, CJ McCollum was, you know, like, he's a guy that can kind of get you 20, 25 any night. Like, this guy's bag, when he's in his bag, like, he's one of the hardest players in the NBA to stop. But so far this season, like, the Blazers are absolutely terrible. And I would say, like, he is a big part of it because Damon Lillard is doing what he usually does at maybe a better rate than ever. But CJ McCollum has not stepped into... Uh, he's not followed suit with that. And I think if the Blazers want to make the playoffs this year, CJ McCollum definitely needs to step it up because I don't think Damian Lillard can go any higher than what he's doing right now. Well, that's interesting. So let's talk about the Trailblazers. I definitely agree CJ McCollum has been one of the most disappointing players this season, especially for a guy like who we saw really like come into his own in the playoffs last year. And as we know, they did just pick up Carmelo Anthony. Like, I guess that's their, like, come save us plea. What do we think about Carmelo joining the Trailblazers? Does he have anything left to offer to the team? So, I am honestly not opposed to it. Having, I don't know if you saw this, their, their game against the Warriors post-Kirk injury. And the Warriors had no options at all. And it was weird seeing how almost toothless the Blazers were. And that's not what you expect from them. Maybe having that extra scoring option in Melo, if it works out, could be something that puts them over the edge. But that definitely is... It feels almost a little desperate Very to take on a, a uncertain product like Carmelo. I don't think Carmelo's uh, doing anything of notice on that team, to be honest. Like, you see yeah. that video of flight. You see that video of flight saying Melo's gonna drop twenty a night and take the Blazers <laughs> to the finals or something like that. <laughs> but nah, like I think like Melo, like yeah, like come on, like you can't expect Melo to come and change your franchise around. It just 
he might give yeah. you like I don't know like eight or ten a night. Like the guy will still knock down a couple mid range shots, but I don't expect to see the Blazers' fortunes turn because of Melo. And if it does, then he maybe is the goat. And uh, I don't know, but I think I, it's, I, just, I think it's a real nice gesture, but I think it's just really just a publicity stunt more than anything. Yeah, Melo's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find Mello's it like a publicity stunt act part of it though, like how LeBron D like LeBron and CP uh, were like, you know, like finally, like here we go, and it's like, <laughs> man, why weren't you helping your friend out in the first place? And it's like, yeah. once he gets a job at another team, you're like, yeah, let's go. But like, you didn't see LeBron try to get Melo on the Lakers, like you didn't see <laughs> CP try to get him on the Thunder, like. I I have a question for you guys. So as we know, the Western Conference is very very unforgiving and. You can be out of that playoff race by now, to be honest. Like, now is not too early to, to rule out a team. The Trailblazers are, I think, five games uh, underneath the playoffs or, like, around that area. Uh, if you get to that – I don't know who's going to check up on it right now. If you get <laughs> where the playoffs are, it's just, like, it's not a, it's not a factor anymore. Like, they're not going to make it. Do you consider trading CJ? I think yeah. – interesting point playoffs or not because at some point you have to say i mean they haven't had playoff success whatsoever with between cj and damon at what point do you well, it depends on what you consider playoff success so yeah, I, last year i mean last year went to the western conference finals yeah yeah. yeah last year and the blazers actually have the longest current streak of making the playoffs out of any other team in the nba my thing with the blazers is i've always felt that not the, living, outside of the spurs sorry is they're such a limited team that it scares me. And I, currently, they're not too far off. They're, they're a game or two back. But my issue with them is when you're going against a team like the Lakers with, you know, with AD and, and, and LeBron and going against the Clippers with PT and Kawhi, when a team like this hasn't inspired confidence in the regular season with CJ and Dame, at what point do you say, you know, this yeah. is it. It's not going to work. You're going against teams that are terrible matchups i was a huge advocate in the beginning of the season for them to try and make a move for kevin love and try like make a big three out of those guys but i think their main trade piece which was zach collins is out for a large portion of the year so i think they obviously they can't trade him uh i i agree i think the trailblazers like this is it like for me i always said they reminded me of the raptors of DeRozan and uh, lowry and the only way the raptors got better was by trading one of those guys and picking up a superstar and no I no no um I've been I've been like for a while now saying that they needed to get rid of one of Dame and CJ and seeing as Dame is the better player, the franchise player, it'd be CJ because this team to me is what the Warriors used to be with Steph and Monta. They had two guys in the backcourt that could score at will, but they're two undersized guards, right? Dame is what like six three, CJ is like six four. They need yep. another shoot. They need their second guard to be big. Like look what happened when the Warriors got Clay. Clay is like six foot six, whatever six seven. I don't know what the official heights are these days. But, like, he is, he is a guard. Like, he's a big guard. And you look at all historic teams. Like, Kobe was 6'6". Six, six. Uh, Harden is, like, 6'6". Six, six. Like, they just lack the size. And it's always reminded me of how, like, how when the Warriors decided to move on Monta, it wasn't because, you know, like, Monta was bad or anything. It was just that, you know, Steph was their franchise player and Monta just kind of, you know, that backcourt would just not work out. Like, they would be one of the highest scoring backcourts, but also they would be the second highest scoring backcourt every night the first being whoever they faced. And I think the Blazers are just a kind of like a better version of that. But if they ever want to make that next leap, I think they have to get rid of CJ, I think. And also like the Blazers in terms of like historically have always kind of started kind of kind of slow and in like February, March, they go on an insane run. But like, I think it's just going to be harder this year with how many, like however many 
ever teams there are because it's so like crazy in the West this year. And I think too, like like what you said, I mean, now to get rid of that second small guard. I mean, when you're when you're thinking about playing with these bigger teams, I mean, their wings are Rodney Hood, Ken Bazemore, Mario Hazonia. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you plan on doing with that. So hopefully they could they could you know get rid of McCollum and turn that into some sort of wing like the Warriors did with Clay. That's a great comparison. Yeah, and like. All, every team these days is, like, so athletic where, like, pretty much any guy can guard one through five. And the fact that, like, the Blazers just can't do that puts them at a disadvantage right away. Like, they need to have insane shooting nights to kind of go anywhere. So, I, I, I think that's definitely, yeah. I think you just look at the best players in the league in today's age. It's athletic three and uh, three and D guys. You'll have Kawhi, Giannis. Oh, Giannis is not three, but uh, three-point shooting. But, like, those athletic uh, two-way guards that, that can do all aspects of the game. Kevin Durant as well. So, I said two undersized guards. CJ is short, man. He's like six foot, I think. Like, holy shit. Yeah, no, I don't think the real height's helped him out too much. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I would say, like, I know you said, like, DeMar DeRozan's on the blocks. I know you posted that, Leas. I think, like, DeMar could be, like, a decent pickup for them, honestly. Like, he's obviously much bigger. And here's, here's where I, I just he can also give you points. Well, as you guys know, DeMar, well, I would say he was my favorite player. Like, obviously, when he got straight yeah. up, I was so happy that we got Kawhi, but I was also devastated we lost DeMar. Like, leaving the Raptors and maybe the, com- the comfort of, like, that system that kind of hit a lot of his flaws has really exposed him for, for not the player that I don't think any of us thought he uh, was. His last season for the Raptors, or his second last, he, he shot 20, he uh, averaged 27 points. Uh, like six assists, but on the Spurs, I think right now he's down to like around 20. Uh, and I think the reason why he wouldn't do well with Dame is that DeMar is a very ball-dominant player. And I think you need someone who can play a little more off-ball. Like DeMar can't shoot threes. He can't play defense. He, he Like what's probably his best aspect of his game right now is that he is a decent uh, a decent enough playmaker to add to that mid-range. But I think him and Dame Lillard would not be a good combination. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know who else is on the market, but yeah, they just need to make some moves because they can't move Dame because he signed his like super max. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you want to move Dame anyways. I think Dame has shown that like, first of all, he's Mr. Portland, and I think that if you put him to another really good guy, very. Uh, we can talk about the Boston Celtics too. See us rise! Oh my God, they're not so, first. <laughs> Warriors fan are shouting CS Rice. See us. Um, so, yeah, they're 10 and 2 right now. They actually had their second loss tonight. Um, devastating, devastating. Devastating. Uh, Marcus Smart missed a buzzer beating uh, floater to win the game uh, to, against the, uh, the Kings, but they've been incredible this year, and it's been incredible as a team. And it really makes you think how much of a cancer was Kyrie Irving in that locker room? All they really did was replace him with Kemba Walker and add Enos Kanter instead of Al Horford. There's no reason why this team should be so much better than when Kyrie was there. I mean, I think you saw it, like, even, like, with Kyrie's first season and stuff, that, like, when Kyrie didn't play, like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just, like, played much better. I'd never seen that, like, when Kyrie was on the floor, they would play well. And I think now, like, I mean, Gordon Hayward's out with injury, like, unfortunate for him. But the Celtics, like, they have four guys that can give you 20 on any night. And usually, like, three of the four go off, and the other one has, like, a tame night. But it's kind of a very balanced offensive effort. And I think that's what Brad Stevens has always kind of envisioned. And Kemba Walker, who doesn't have the ego or, like, 
the stature of Kyrie kind of doesn't care and he can put up 30 a night or he can put up 15, but it's just leading to wins. And they have an easy yeah. schedule, yes. They have an easy schedule, yes, but like they're just beating what's in front of them. And I think this isn't something that I wasn't too, wasn't too shocked about because I thought, you know, like Jason Tatum and uh, uh, Jalen Brown would kind of make that jump this year without Kyrie kind of holding them back. Sure. I was, I was a little bit questionable about um, how far they would actually come. Um, I didn't know it, how bad that sophomore slump for Jason Tatum um, was actually going to be. And he's actually, he, he's, he's, he's changed my mind, honestly. Um, he, had, he had that buzzer beater. Well, the game winner against the Knicks, my Knicks. And, uh, and he's been, he's just been a really solid uh, player back to that, that Kobe-like score that we saw in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Um, he looks like he has his confidence back when Kyrie's not there. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting to see how they how they perform without him. For me, he's like for me he's like a Paul George kind of build, where like he's a very good defensive player already, and sure. offensively it's just about him kind of getting his tools together. But like he's only what like still like twenty two, twenty three. Like Some what was Paul jo- what was Paul George like at twenty two, twenty three? Like I think people are like so kind of like oh, social God. media hype. The Miami Heat. I think. How old was Paul George in 2013 uh, against the Miami Heat? How old is he right now? 30. Like 9:30. Yeah, so he was around this age when he made that leap, Paul George. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously the injury and stuff. But like, I don't know. Like, people are so were so quick to write off Jason Tatum after like a mediocre season. But I think like that kind of Paul George is kind of like where I think he's going to be in like four or five years. That like guy that's elite both ways. And I sure. think you're kind of seeing signs of that right now. I'm still ready to write off Jason Tatum, yeah. bro. Y'all are waffling like waffling like crazy, bro. Jason Tatum is <laughs> having like this like breakout year, like comeback. He's he's shooting 39 percent for the. He's, he's, yeah. he's scoring 20 on 39 percent, bro. So I have a completely different take on this song, you guys. Not with me. Jason Tatum has been scoring more points because he's taking more shots. Yeah. Call it confidence, but he is missing a lot. And honestly, I think that the biggest differences is are a. Jalen Brown is playing like himself again. He's out of his slump. Yeah. And Gordon Hayward was playing excellent before he got injured. So it's really sad to see him going to be out with, her, with a broken hand for about six, seven weeks because Hayward has been absolutely balling. Yeah, Hayward has been balling. But, dude, Tatum is taking 19 shots and averaging 20. Like, this isn't, like, he's not, he's not becoming, like, this. Like, Paul George for me is way – I don't think he's anywhere near the defensive player Paul George is. And I think his offensive output, again, like, it's just because he's taking more shots. I will say, though, Jalen Brown, like, he's balling. He's, I think he's putting up 20 on way less shots. He's and, shooting over 50%. Yeah, from the field and from the year. three. And he's a really good defensive player. Like, I, I'll definitely say Jalen Brown is proving that they were right to pay him all that money. I was definitely a critic of that, that choice to, to give him the bag. But he's impressed me. And then, of course, Kemba, his, I just think his, his, his willingness to, like, not always have the ball, like let other guys thrive and take shots. I think that's just the difference. I think other, some of the other players are also coming along as well. I mean, Tyson's is much better this year. Robert Williams, some of the plays that that guy makes. Oh, yeah, Marcus Smart. Yeah, is Smart, well. absolutely. They, I feel like they've just come along as a team. It feels, and like you said, definitely Kyrie leaving is huge for them. But Brad Stevens is good at this, and that's. I feel like all of his teams are these gritty teams that work hard and are well balanced. And with him not having Kyrie, I feel like this is his type of team. They do well this year. My question about the Celtics, I feel like the East. Uh, I feel like a lot, all four or five of the top teams, like I feel like they all match up very differently, like in one team in particular. And like, for, but for yeah. me, the problem with the Celtics is. I wonder how they play when they play against the Sixers, where Enos Cantor is playing Joel Embiid. 
Because, like, I, although we have criticized Embiid, like, that's a huge mis- mismatch. Embiid is going to eat him up. Who got Giannis, too? Yeah, that's, well, they, they actually did very well against the Bucs uh, when they played this year. But I just wonder, once they get to the playoffs, how, how the, the, if this continued success will, will be able to, again, continue. I mean, going into the playoffs, like, against the Sixers, like, I don't know, like, the Sixers are counting by twos, whereas the Celtics would be potentially counting by threes. They just, I just feel the, they just have way more weapons than the Sixers do. And, like, even, like, the first game of the season, like, I wouldn't say Embiid was, like, dominating cancer by any stretch of the means. And, like, they just have a lot of good individual defenders. So, I think it'll be, like, low-scoring games. But I think the Celtics just have more, you know, X-factors with, you know, Hayward, Kemba, uh, Tatum, and Brown. And against the Bucks, that's, like, the Bucks. I just don't think are as good as last year. It seems like Giannis is carrying a lot more than he did last year with Brogdon not not Brogdon not here and Middleton kind of stinking it up, but I think like the Celtics definitely have a very good chance of making it out of the playoffs this, uh, out of the East this year. I don't think there's any clear cut favorite. I think you have a lot of teams that are very deep and very sure. like very good across the board. Like I can't see a single team like rising above the other. I think a lot of those playoff series are going to be very very tough and very like physical and like. Unless like Giannis can do like develop some sort of like mid range jumper throughout the year, then I just don't see like even Giannis like bulldozing through the team just because of the team that he has and how the like how playoff basketball is different than regular season. I agree, Rose. I agree for the most part. Do we have any uh, favorites to come out of the West uh, for for twenty twenty? Uh, I think this. I think this. The, the Clippers are. Like, it's just crazy to see Paul George, man. I mean, like, he just comes in this team and drops, like, 30, 33, 37. Like, 20 minutes the other night in 437. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, it's it's quick and it's it's direct with him. It's not – there's no wasted dribbles, really. It's, it's when he gets the ball, he's doing something productive or he's he's getting a bucket. It's 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 very scary to see if, if, they, can, if they can get this right. Yeah. As, as good as they look, though, I think that you guys – confident on the Lakers than I was going into the season. The Lakers have impressed me to the point where I don't think it's it's just going to be a Clippers like a Clippers favorite. I think it could definitely go either way. Yeah, the Lakers have definitely looked really good. This Absolutely. Season. I like. Um, I mean, so I think the, the three teams are like the Clippers, Lakers, Rockets at this stage. I don't okay. think there's any other team that's gonna. The Rockets. Sure. I'm just I'm just gonna discount because you know they got perennial playoff chokers. <laughs> not gonna not gonna not gonna entertain them. For me, it's just it's just more about the ISO ball. It doesn't hold up in the playoffs, man. Yeah. You gotta... I mean, you need you need ISO ball for sure to get points. But I just think that style of play, like it never worked for Phoenix. It, it never got the Phoenix Suns over the hump, and it's not gonna get Houston over the hump either. Like it's just not gonna work out. Um, with the Lakers, like the Lakers are weird because, like, I would say the Clippers are my favorite, depending on how Kawhi and Paul George like can mesh together. But I don't think there's gonna be anything too drastic there. But the Lakers, like, they're kind of weird because they don't really have any elite guard play, right? Like, it's not like they have any, like, dead eyes from three or any guys that are just going to, like, I don't know. Like, LeBron is to that extent, but, like, really he's not, like, shooting well from the three at all. And I don't know how much you want to give Kuzma any, like, credit, but no. I just know. I, I, think, I, I think the Clippers have it. It'll be a tough series, but I'd say, like, right now, I would, my gut feeling is, like, Clippers in six or so, but it's really about how, like, if LeBron can go, like, super, like, LeBron mode, 
But I just don't think – I just think the Clippers, they're just younger. They're just so athletic. And, like, the way that Kawhi and PG can take you off the dribble or, you know, coming off screens, I just think that's something the Lakers lack. And LeBron can only do so much. Uh, for the season, I was saying I think the Clippers have the best team, but my only worry was that if they come up against an elite big man in the playoffs, such as Embiid or Anthony Davis, how they would be able to, to cope with that because I think Zubats is a huge liability. And Montrez, either side. So that was my question about them. But like you said, those... Those wing players, like, who can compete with that? Who can compete with the two best uh, two-way players in the NBA? No one. And, like, even in the playoffs, like, they're going to make special attention on AD, right? They're not going to let AD kind of post them up 1v1. Like, they're going to yeah, force no. them to shoot them out. And I just don't see anybody, like, Danny Green, like, he's one game, he's 9 for 9, next game he's over 20. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't think there's any consistency with their backcourt or any, like, elite guard play that, you know, the Clippers can kind of beat you in so many ways with Kawhi and PG. Okay. Um, I think they're uh, an interesting case here. I mean, obviously, the, the two LA teams at the top of the left, but there's probably some bottom decisions. Like, the Spurs this year, we, they kind of felt where we expected them to fall. They don't look great. They look like they're going to be on the edge of the playoffs. They have an aging team. What do they do with this? That was my forwards? that was my question for the beginning. Like on our first podcast, when we had one question to find each team, what do the Spurs like? What direction did the Spurs go? And like you say, uh, like you have to make a decision. My thinking was that they wouldn't because Popovich he has like one or two years left, and like we know he just wants to be competitive and like get a team in the playoffs. But again, like we were talking about Demar Derozan, we're hearing a lot of trade speculation about him potentially going to the Magic. I don't know who they would get back in return for that, but yeah, I think they definitely need to like. Look at the guards that they have in Dejounte Murray, uh, Derek White, Bryn Forbes, Yaka Pirtle in the in the front court, and I think they should just stick with those guys and try and like lose Lamarcus Aldridge and Demar Derozan because like their ceiling of those guys is an eighth, seventh seed. And at the ages of 31, 34, yeah. DeRozan. I don't know how much. What team would realistically trade for Demar Derozan? Can you uh, guys think of anyone? The Miami Heat. Why? They have, Here's my thing with the Heat is, realistically, I think that they're going to want to add a second star come playoff time, and whether that be Chris Paul or someone like DeMar DeRozan, if they can get him for cheap, why not? No way, no way you said Chris Paul and second star in the same sentence in 2019. <laughs> We've seen that's gone. Oh, I'm dead, man. But that's like the, the Rosen that... He's I, not a Heat player. You're absolutely I'm right. I'm not even about that. Like, for me, the only team that will take DeMar DeRozan in 2019 are teams that are like really bad, but, like, they need a, a guy to, like, score the points. Like, you can't be the second guy. Like, no, but why would you want Jimmy Butler and uh, DeMar DeRozan on the same yeah, team? Exactly. I just see Jimmy Butler as, like, an upgraded version of DeMar, like, a guy who can play defense on top of being an elite mid-range player. Yeah. And, like, I just don't think, like, you want to do that, like, crowd them up together like that. Like, I think, I wouldn't say that's the route that he should take. Maybe someone, like, I don't know, there's other teams that need, like, a second score, like, maybe a mid-range shooter, like, I just don't see the Heat being one of them. I, I actually, and like you look at the Heat, what they have, like they have Tyler Hero, they have Kendrick Nunn, they have Goran Dragic coming off the bench. I think those are perfect guys to compliment uh, Jimmy Butler, as opposed to a guy who's just going to jack up 20 mid ranges of the game. <laughs> this is crazy because like I was a guy who was debating DeRozan and Bradley Beal three years ago. And <laughs> like Bradley, Bradley Beal would be good on the Heat. Like that's a player that would definitely could, like, because that's an elite three point shooter and he can like give you 30 or 40 a night, but. It'd be really weird to see the like Spurs become like a bad team because like the Spurs were the first team I ever watched basketball like in the 05 finals and like 15 years of like pretty much excellence 
And just to see them go down like and become one of those like lesser teams for a couple of years is going to be a very weird sight. You think it's a site that we're going to see, though? Do you think it'll end up happening? I mean, yeah. Like, every team goes through cycles, right? But they've just had, like, the best basketball – for me, the best basketball coach ever and just having stars for so long and how he can develop players. But, like, every every dynasty comes to an end, right? Like, the Patriots dynasty yeah. is going to come to an end in a couple of years. Like, the Spurs dynasty is going to come to an end. And I think po- I don't think Popovich wants to be there for a rebuild, right? Like, he's yeah. going to go out on his own terms. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely it's, it's the best dynasty. Yeah. I think we're watching the end days of the Spurs. Um, I hope that Popovich retires after this year, and we can just get on with it. Honestly, um, I think I think it's just dragging out. Like they're not getting better than this, and he's not going to do the re- the rebuild while he's there. So I feel like this is a good enough time and as good as ever to call quits. I think he retires at the end of the season. Whatever we want to give credit to Popovich, man. I mean, looking back on that Kawhi trade, like he fumbled it. Bro, he really he really threw Danny Green in there for no reason. Like that's okay. the thing I'll never get. <laughs> like, like, like Siakam was like a name that was like always on people's lips, like as like a potential person to like add on to DeMar. But like I was like, why would you throw Danny Green in there for absolutely no reason? Like I didn't understand that part. And, and bro, we gave them like our least like valuable asset in Yakapurto. Like we didn't want to give up OG, we didn't want to give up Pascal. We're like, yeah, take our center that can't shoot threes or protect. I mean, I guess at that point, I, I guess at that point, Papa was just like, fuck it. Like, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like, y- y'all can have him. I think he was just, like, so vengeful towards Kawhi. He's like, you want to go to L.A.? Let me trade you the place furthest away from L.A. <laughs> GMs too, though. I mean, to be, coaches don't have strict control over people's games. Nah, but, like, like come on, like, Popovich at, like, come on, like, at that level, like, 20 years, well, how many years he's been coaching, like, he definitely has, like, you don't think Bill Belichick has a say in who the Patriots sign? Like, yeah. it's definitely... I think that there must have been something. Like, there's no way that that Kawhi goes like that unless there was some exchange between him and Popovich that forced that to happen. Some degree. Um, yeah, like, cause I'm just looking at like, okay, I know they didn't want to trade him to the Lakers, like, so obviously that package of Ingram and all those guys is out. But like, the Celtics were into him. Like, didn't they yeah. offer like Brown and like a pick or no? They they didn't want to offer Brown. Uh, I thought it was Tatum. Tatum didn't want to offer. They didn't want to offer either of them. Wow. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Way. I think that we should also have another conversation about another team that is in a similar situation as the worst situation, which is the Warriors. So what is the Warriors play going forward, and what is this season for them? Now, I think the Warriors and the Spurs are diametrically opposite. Like the Warriors are just culmination of like bad fortune. Like they've had, they've been on the end of the other side, but you know, Steph being out for so much, Clay being out, like that's a huge dent right away. But they have good young players, I would say. Like. They have a good Eric Paschal. We talked about. He's a good young player. Looney's been injured, but he's also another good player. And they have a like a very high value asset in D'Lo. And even though the Warriors aren't winning just because of the, the roster and whatnot, like D'Lo is still better showing out. So if they want to keep him, they have a great player right there. And if they want to move him on, like that's a high value asset. And that's next year fair. they also have next year like they get Steph back, they get Clay back. So right away they're already one of the top teams in the West. But then they also have room to move around with their roster. Like they have 17 million in cap or something like that, and they have some like no, they have some like mid exceptions or whatnot, like whatever, however the hell that works. But like they definitely have a lot more room to work with than they did this off season with all their contracts. So they they can make a great package for someone like Giannis or like Embiid with D'Lo and Dre, and they can move them. But I think they're definitely just oh, and they could get a high value pick with how they're working. Like that's the big one too. So I, I would say, I would say like they're in a pretty decent position and 
it's just one of those years. Like, it's been unfortunate how it's happened, but I think, like, going forward, they'll, they'll be fine. So I would actually make, as a Warriors fan as well, I do want to make a slight counter-argument to that. The, some of the things that get me a little nervous is Steph is going to be 32, going on 32 next year. Draymond's going to be 30. We can tell he's already defining the same player that Clay's he was. Clay is going to be 30. They've already had injuries. They have a current Kevon Looney, who has also been struggling with injuries as well. And they have D'Lo, who's not really a player that fits into that roster. Yeah, D'Lo is balling right now, but I, I kind of expected this from D'Lo when he's the lone star. Like, he's a pick-and-roll guy who gets shots off the pick-and-roll. Like, we saw when the other guys were there, like, when he doesn't have the ball as much. Like, okay, he's a good player, but, like, his output is is minimized so much more. So, like, they de- he's de- like you say he's either an asset or a good player to have. I think he's definitely an asset. I think so, too. And I think, like Britwick said, if – this is going to be a big offseason for them. And they do have some young players that could potentially be good in, you know, three or four years or two to three years. But it kind of scares me in that we're in like a, a middle. And if something doesn't change, I don't think that next year is going to go as well as people might expect it to. Interesting. I mean, like, like about the age argument, like Draymond has been a pretty big disappointment for me. But like, that's a completely other story. But like with Steph, he's like his style of play is just an so much based on physicality it's just so much based on finesse and you know him being a shooter like that's not gonna ever go down and his like court vision is not gonna decrease anytime soon i don't think so like he can definitely play well into his like late 30s and stuff and clay also like clay maybe with more of his physical defense might suffer but i think like age-wise like with the way modern medicine is and stuff like you see a lot more players playing later into their careers i I agree about that with steph i think his, his ankles have taken a lot of damage over the years. He does a lot of running off the ball, uh, a lot of r- running into screens and stuff like that. That, that. That's a lot of wear and tear on a guy that's not uh, resilient to wear and tear, clearly, throughout the years. I think that that would begin to show quicker, I mean, sooner rather than later, honestly, for him. But, like, it's not like I would say, like, a D-Wade situation where D-Wade's knees kind of just gave out on him. Like, Steph has still but, been, like... Like, I, I, I just don't see that. Makes Steph such an unstoppable force, especially on the offensive end, is his elusiveness in, in running off the screens. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's gonna, that's not gonna be the same forever, you know? And, and, and his ankles like, are, like, you know? Yeah, like, I'm not, I don't expect him to be like what, like Steve Nash 2.0 as when he's like older, but I do expect yeah. that when he's gonna be running less off the ball, like, I would expect as he goes older, those are gonna be more situations for him just to like quick pick and pop rather than him running like a marathon just to get a shot off with the way Steve Kerr runs this offense but like it's definitely about kind of looking into the future and I think that's why like I can see the Warriors being very aggressive in trying to get someone like an Embiid or a Giannis to the bay because that's a young like that's a young dominant force that you can kind of alleviate a lot of pressure off Steph and Clay as they age and I think that's definitely the direction the Warriors are heading and I think, like, this might be even, like, the way their situation is right now, it's, like, a blessing in disguise. Because, like, if they didn't make the... Like, if they were... If Steph and Clay were healthy this year and they're, like, one of the, like, playoff top three, four teams in the West, then, like, it makes it harder to kind of put that package together. And But, like, now when you have a high top four, top five pick, possibly, it just makes it much more easier to, you know, for like, get a team out of their comfort zone and uh, trade one of their guys. Mm. But uh, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about the Warriors. Like, I I still enjoy seeing them play well to an extent and still lose. So you know, young players showing out and getting and getting tanking. So it's uh it's a it's a good situation. Yeah, I, I was expecting to see that from the Raptors like these last few years, but like, hey man, we're just too good. 
Right. <laughs> uh, any other teams that, yeah, I, I think that those are the main, the big stories that we've really picked up in the first 11, 12, 13 games of the NBA. Uh, everything yeah. else, I would say, like, is what we expected. I, I do like the Hawks. I'll, I'll give a quick shout out to the Hawks. Like, they've been good. Trey Young has been incredible. And quick shout out to the Minnesota Timberwolves for actually being decent this year. Surprisingly, I mean, I mean, they're they're around the same record that they were last year. They had just missed out last year, but um, they they they're playing well again. The Cats playing better. Obviously, we talked about Wiggins earlier. They they might be onto something this year. Covington has definitely been a big asset for them as well. Playing power forwards, he's done a really good job. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think like that was a good start, and I think. I think we're definitely going to do like a Christmas special or something like, you know, more halfway through the season. And then I think all-star break and then maybe playoffs right before and then during each round. But yeah, I think like this is shaping to be one of the more competitive seasons we've had. Um, A lot of interesting storylines, but I think it's definitely been one that hasn't been too dry. Oh, for sure. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys any other remarks that you guys wanted to make? No, I didn't no, I... cover it at all. Yeah. yeah. Think you think you want, want to do, do the outro then? What's up, Val? You want to do the outro then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got we got our footy podcast back next weekend, so uh, we'll be we'll be switching zones, you know. We, we can we can switch up the flow. But yeah, footy footy back next weekend, some Champions League games, big ones, but yeah. All right, boys. It's been fun. As always, it's been another episode of A Whole Lot of Mid. We'll see you when we see you.